This podcast was proudly produced by NZ Audio Editors. For all your editing services, you can find us on the World Wide Web at www.nzaudioeditors.com. Ryan J. Melson and Greg Mole from One Plan for Retirement would like to welcome you to the NZ Guide to Financial Freedom. In this podcast, we'll break down the psychological tools and financial framework you need to live the life you want to ensure you don't run out of money before you run out of life. All right, hello. How's it going? Good. Oh, not good, mate. So if this turns to a mess, it's not your fault. You came to a rescue. <laughs> to give context to the audience, the battery died of the camera. Then I tried my camera and the aux cable didn't read it. So Brent came to the rescue. Uh, and now we're using his camera. And iPhone, then, iPhone to the rescue. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. plug. All right. Well, we don't have any product providers, but all right, iPhone gets a shout out. <laughs> so I'll be curious, apart from being cool, calm, collected in the face of uncertainty, What's your background? What what got you into the insolvency, the shareholder agreements, that sort of thing? Yeah, um, man, I uh, I just went to university, had no idea really what I wanted to do, so I just did a big generic uh, set of papers. Standard. I just covered everything, mm. um, and when I graduated, it was the tail end of the GFC, so beggars can't be choosers. And I sent my CV out to like two hundred and fifty firms, even if they weren't advertising. It was like, here's my CV. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then I got the I got a gig. Uh, it was it was a temporary gig, and then um, and then the very next person that hired me was an insolvency practitioner. So, just fell into it. I thought, hey, I'll just do this for one year, and yeah. then and then I'm getting out of here. I just needed some experience, and uh, turned out I actually really liked it. Hmm. So, um, what do you th- like about it? Because that's an unusual thing to say, I think personally. Yeah, um, I get to I get to channel this. Uh, I'm not sure I can say the word, but uh, safe in, space. In a, it's a safe this space. In a person <laughs> that, that I get to bring out every oh, okay. day, and yeah, and yeah. Uh, and so no, I just really enjoy. I enjoy the area. Look, to be serious, um, one of the things I really enjoy about insolvency is the people that I meet. So um, when I meet them, they're typically really broken, they're really stressed, um, and, and sometimes suicidal. Mm. So I just had that one last week, um, and you know, people. People feel a lot of pressure when they're under financial pressure. And, um, you know, once they come in, you know, we work through those problems. We work through a solution. They're like a completely different person just a couple mm. of months later. And it's like this big weight gets lifted off their shoulder. And so, you know, I really enjoy helping people through that really stressful time. A lawyer that's not motivated by money. Oh, I'm taking run. I like money. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I do like money, but, yeah. but you know, there's there's Balance. other things as well. Yeah. No, it's fair. I mean, we don't have the level of stress. You mean like a business owner is effectively their child. Mm. They built it, sweat and tears, and now suddenly it's at the worst moment they can imagine. Yeah. We, we have the challenge with people worried about how they're going to fund their retirement and mm. then stress, tense, not sure, and then they go home like skipping. There was this one lady that skipped home, which is quite cool. Yeah, it wasn't me. It was twenty years ago when Greg met <laughs> it. Um, but yeah, it's warm and fuzzies. Yeah. But what um, do you see trends and the difference between businesses that end up in that position and ones that don't? Yeah. Um, yeah. There's definitely some trends, and um, you know, the big one I see is you know the business owner themselves often doesn't have the skill sets required to run their business. Hmm. Um, 
you know, they did when it was just them. Uh, but I mean, because like, if if you think about it, kind of classic example I see is is in the construction industry. So you see the guy, this the the guy sees the boss earning the big money, has the ute, and he's like, hey, you know, I can do this. So he goes out, he gets a ute, and he starts working. He has no idea how to price the job, you know, and he has no idea how to to manage the day to day and the clients because he's just been on the tools. So it's mm. a real steep learning curve when it comes to people who just launch into business like that. And then, you know, you price a job wrong um, mm. and you go backwards on your first job and you go backwards on your second job. Mm. It gets pretty tough. Um, and that's, and that's, and it doesn't even take into account the unexpected things. You know, what if the contractor that you sub to fails and you don't get paid and you priced it right? There's all that that comes in as well. Mm. Well, it's massive. It's a challenge. So the guy that does our audio normally is at a dentist appointment. So if the audio doesn't uh, sound as crispy. <laughs> Um, he's just stepped out for that, but he, he, he had that challenge, you know, like I think price is, uh, cause he had a construction company initially yeah. and price that it's kind of a reflection of self-worth in a sense. Mm. So on one hand, you sure you get the market indicators to see, to give you a gauge on what you're worth. Mm. Um, but cost is really only a, a problem in the absence of value and it's how you instill that in the prospect's mind. Yeah. But having that self-worth to be like, hey, I'm actually worth that. Because mm. I have that in this industry. I'm fortunate to work with someone that's older and experienced. So mm. I just price it how he prices it. Yeah. But do you, did you have that sort of same challenges in your business when you first started? You're like, okay, I'm going out on my own. Did, what was your sort of mistakes that you would oh, give man. advice to old you? Hey, we've got enough time. Yeah, <laughs> oh, we might, mate. You've got gigs of data on your phone. <laughs> yeah. Now, look, um, so... So yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm going to say I didn't value my time as much as I should have at the beginning. Mm. And um, it actually took me talking to a mentor who gave me permission to increase my prices. You mm. know, like um, I had my hourly rate was half what it is now. And I, th- and I always thought, now nah, if I increase it, you know, people are not going to pay that. Mm. And then he's like, hey, Brent, what's the value of that problem? And and the, when you work out what the value of the problem is that I solved and what I was charging, it was just it was ridiculous. Yeah. Um. And then I I actually doubled my fee. I was nervous as all hell. Um. Because where I can, I offer fixed fee, so it's not like they're getting surprised. So, you know, I I quoted this job which I would usually quote at five grand, and I was like, no, it was ten grand, and I. And I gave the price, and then I just shut up. <laughs> Shake just, it as I you just, <laughs> I just, be, I just like I'm going to listen to what he says, and he's probably going to have a problem. And if we can agree on eight, I'll be happy. Yeah. Um, and it was like no problem, yeah, yeah, ten grand. Yeah. And I was just like, what the hell? <laughs> what the hell? As soon as he leaves, like yes, yeah, a big high five in the office. But but you know, it was, you know, I just wasn't valuing my time mm. as much as as I should have. So yeah, so that's a big one. Um, and obviously, another one is in the um, the marketing space. So we do a lot of digital marketing and um yeah i mean it took me a long time to get on video a lot longer than i should have taken i was really nervous you know yeah, record yeah. the video delete it <laughs> yeah, um yeah. and and again one of my mentors it was a terrible video it was eight minutes long it was too long um audio was crap yeah yeah video was crap i i, I sounded like a feeble little child <laughs> um and he's like just post it he's like you gotta lose your v plates just yeah, go yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah posted it um and then i got some good feedback yeah, by some yeah. supportive people around me um and then i just kind of kept going but i think if i had done that earlier oh. you know I, I could have been further along in the business as well because because obviously our business relies quite heavily on our marketing as well mm. oh it's huge that's that's the challenge or well, it's a good thing for us is that so many people think bottom line and short term 
and they're going to just live off everything they kill day to day to day, every yeah. hustle, hustle, hustle. And they're relying on outdated processes, you know, like TV yeah. marketing, direct yeah. mail, intermediaries, and they're missing, they're leaving so much money on the table. Yeah. Because one, you look at like, let's say you're going to do a newspaper ad. Mm. You've got one opportunity to capture their attention in a sales pitch orientated way. Yeah. So all you can really sell on is potentially convenience or price. Yeah. So now when you go in the digital marketing space, they go to your website, you have the pixel, you can retarget them over and yeah. over, and then you can do a simple value add at no added cost to yourself as a means to get their details, and it's yeah. a self-feeding machine. Yeah. It's like referrals at scale. Yeah. So that's why you're here mainly. You yeah. know? <laughs> Obviously, your confidence, your understanding, and, yeah. um, but what you're doing in the marketing space and the field that you're in is rare. Yeah, yeah, it is, yeah. And and it's something that because uh, my look, my industry is pretty traditional, and yeah. <laughs> you know, I'll go to a I'll go to a, a law event, and uh, the question I often get asked is, "Does it work?" Mm. And I'm sitting there going, "Man, you've been watching me for like a few years do this. I, would I do it if it didn't work?" Really? And but yeah, I think I think there's a mixed mindset of uh, in the legal industry of people who look at what I do and probably think that's not how you market a law firm, and other people who go, we want to do this, mm. but the senior partners in our firm won't let us, let us do it. Um, so, so I've got I've got a, a small chunk of time, I think, until everyone else will, you know, the younger generation come through, and 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 we're common to see lawyers doing this. Oh, they always come in too late. Like, yeah. so I'm TikTok is very forward thinking for a lot of people, and I bomb it every day. Yeah, but the reason being is like people in Facebook. So they say TikTok, ah, oh, too young audience. It's it's not um, commercial. It's not business. Like it's just mm. people dancing. What do they say about Facebook? Okay, it's mm. just for college kids. What do they say about Instagram? Just for photographers. What mm. do they say about LinkedIn? Oh, it's just for job sites. Yeah. So if you want to be on the right side of history, you take a certain risk. But mm. if I'm on TikTok and I never get any client out of that, but I get a relationship, mm. what I have is brand equity. Mm. And if if I'm making one video and one million people are seeing it, yeah, that's how many about a, at a year, a million views for no cost. Mm. That's awesome. And my age demographic of the podcast increased. Mm. So it's counterintuitive to what everyone's saying. Yeah, that's awesome. So you make one video, people see it. You collect that data, so cell phone number, email, yeah. and then they become on your automated system. Yeah, yeah. And you're adding value with no other cost. Yeah. So it's like, I don't get it. Like, what, why, why, like... They must. They have a functioning business. They don't have to have new clients all the time. Like our mm. our business, no new clients would run for the next fifteen to twenty years, just yeah. surviving off that that subscription service. Yeah. I don't. Why do you think they're not like apart from <laughs> senior people not allowing it? And we'll go into your confidency, but I think you like marketing a bit as yeah, well. Yeah, I so. love marketing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, why do I think they don't do it? Because I think there's a barrier to entry. There's the and the barrier to entry is often tech knowledge, and it's one of those things where. You know, I think a lot of business owners think about the ROI. So if I spend X, what am I going to get out the, mm. the tail end? And marketing is one of those things that's really hard to quantify. Hey, if I put $100 into Facebook, what's my ROI going to be? Yeah. Um, I, but once you, once, you run a, once you run a system, then it, you can get so, those numbers. But mm. up front, it's, it's hard to predict. So, um, you know... And if they're, if they're tech challenged, then they're going to have to pay someone to actually set it up. And let's be fair, I mean, uh, there's some really good people in that digital marketing space, but there's a lot of people that right. sell that sell snake oil. Yeah, and yeah, and yeah. you hear the stories, and I've heard mm. so many. And that's why I keep my marketing in-house, mm. um, because Smart. I just want to control it and, and, and not have... I just want that agenda to be the same as mine. Mm. And so 
Look, there is there is definitely some barriers. I, I probably think the biggest one is around tech, tech and cost. Yeah, and Facebook is um, it's not as cheap as it used to be. Nah, I mean nah. I I had the best couple of months just after COVID. Um, oh, so um, April May, mm. bunch of Kiwis pulled out of Facebook from marketing, and I was reaching twice as many people for the same budget I had uh, yeah. pre-COVID. Makes sense. Yeah. Like you think of every every major corporation, a lot of them were built in those moments. Yeah. When everyone's famine and you're yeah. you're investing. Yeah. And that's I guess you gotta have that in place with your business yeah. to have that that capacity at yeah. any moment. You're gonna well, well, I was gonna say, um, as a result of that, I, I had like during my lockdown, I had eighty so I do I do free thirty minute legal consults. So that's my conversion event. So it's like got a problem, let's have a chat, talk about the solution. Um you know, I had like eighty 30-minute consults in uh, four weeks of oh, yeah. – um, these are all new yeah, prospective yeah. clients. Jesus. Um, I only converted two of them into yeah. clients because they all, <laughs> all wanted information for free. Yeah. Um, but, you know, now now there's people that I helped back then by giving them that information. Now they're turning into clients once they've realized DIY didn't work. Mm. Um, but, you know, if I had to turn the switch off um, and being quite conservative, I wouldn't have had 80 conversations with 80 business owners. mm and I, I think that probably stems. I mean, you did allude to that you like money in some aspect, but you must, you have to have a, most business I see fail. Um, obviously, it's lack of self audit and knowing what they're good at and what they're not yep. and helping that, but just spending something they don't have. Mm. And, and you got to have, you gotta, even though, even though it's a dead cash in a sense and it's sitting there, it's not working for you, like having something that you can inject into your business at those moments mm. or for an unforeseen event, it must yep. be so important. But totally. we better talk about your competency. Yeah, all right. Um, but yeah, insolvency. So, all right, well, firstly, paint the picture of this general sort of person that you add value most to or you come across. Yeah. And then we'll we'll go into the insolvency But Yeah. So, you know, I suppose I can... Um I can do what I do on either side of the fence, so for the debtor or for the creditor. Okay. So it depends who's on the phone as to what my strategy is going to be. Okay. Um, so, like, for example, um, I could talk about it because it's all in the newspapers. Um, recently, I helped a group of creditors in the Nido liquidation. Okay, yeah. So shareholders appointed a liquidator. Liquidator's in there to, to do a friendly friendly job. Um, and so we just went around and lobbied the creditors and, and um, got that liquidator out and got a feral liquidator in that's going to go do some damage on the directors um and so in that case you know act for for creditors but but you know in insolvency it's more often it's, it's going to be the the debtors so the people who owe the money so you know the people that are up at night thinking about how they're going to pay their bills how they're going to pay their staff um and and so obviously if it's a company there's there's obviously a lot more options and if it's an individual who's insolvent because you can restructure away from a company you can't re- it's very difficult to restructure away from yourself. So mm. um, it's typically a business owner um, where the business is insolvent. Okay. Yeah. So these business owners, they come to you and they're like, all right, I'm 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 stuck. I'm stuffed. People coming for me for money. I'm stressed yeah. out. Yeah. What do we do? So so just, just before oh, we jump to on. that, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, I'll just jump back in terms of why they're there. So, I mean, okay. usually the catalyst for those conversations is, say, the IID of commenced liquidation proceedings where they've issued a statutory demand and – and that's the thing that I see often and what we do is, um, you know, business owners link their identity to their business and so they will delay the conversation with me as long as possible. Mm. Um, and, you know, in 2020, we had um, 40% less liquidations than the previous years. 
Mm. So, um, you know, the stimulus, you know, interest-free loans, wage subsidies, um, that's had an impact. And it's, it's what it's done is insolvent businesses that should have failed, regardless of COVID, have been able to get some cash. Oh, yeah. So they've delayed. They've delayed. Um, and the other thing is the IRD have filed 50% less liquidation applications than previous years as well, which mm. is usually the catalyst for the conversation. So <laughs> that, that's why I'm saying this year, second to third quarter, I think it's going to be quite manic. Mm. Um, and right now we're in a bit of a false economy. So, you know, you're going to get your standard stats, you're going to get the 40% that should have been last year, and then you're going to get the purely COVID-related and specific industries that got hit pretty hard. Um so, so yeah, um, that's that's why they're there, and it's usually because they have to be. They don't want to be. Mm. Yeah. Well, it's, yeah, it makes sense. Like if if you're one, you're in the job, so you have a job, not so much a business, because you're just in it all the time and you're involved, and then you're helping it build over time. You do, you do the whole sweep it under the rug mm. thing, and then I imagine as well they want a quick turnaround as well, so they're like push it to the last week. Oh, yeah, Brent's got to fucking turn this around overnight. But, so they come in the door. What are the, what are the things that you would help them and alleviate that stress that you're talking yeah. about? Yeah, so it really depends on the on the situation and whether um, and how they feel about the business. So do they want do they want to save it? Because sometimes they actually just want to walk away. Okay. Um, so you know, one of the guys I spoke to recently, um, it's been his business for forty five years. He's just done. Uh, he's just been screwed time and time again. He just wants to walk away. So the strategy for winding it down. And walking away is obviously different to someone who wants to keep their business. And so if they want to keep their business, I mean, generally, there's, there's a couple of strategies we can look at. One is um, talking to creditors and um, it's just about having hard conversations and having those conversations up front. Um, if, we can, if we can get on a payment arrangement, get it over time, something that both parties can live with, that's, um, that's often what we do is we're negotiating different payment terms okay um you know it could be landlord could be ird if it's ird it's a great time to to cut a deal so because they've got this mandate to just yeah. just be a little bit chill which again i think is gonna i think that'll end in the second to third quarter they're gonna have to pick up some of these debts um i mean i i did one recently where it was 400 grand um tax debt and we reduced it down to 50 grand and three years to pay and this is core, hmm. this is interest penalties and core write-offs, <laughs> yeah. which pre-COVID, I mean, no good chance. luck. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, so you're looking at you're looking at compromising with creditors either informally or formally um, is one way. Otherwise, it's looking at the Phoenix Company um, structures. So, start point is Phoenix companies are are illegal. You can't establish a Phoenix Company. A Phoenix Company is a company run by the director with a similar name. Uh. But there's exceptions to that. So yeah. ABC Builders becomes ABC 2021, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> but there's some exceptions to that. And so if you run the exceptions, then you can do it legitimately um, and you can take all of the good things out of the business, like the assets and the staff, um, secure creditors, and leave what you don't want, which is the unsecured creditors, hmm. um, which, you know, and if I'm acting for the shareholders, that's what we do. Um, if I'm active for the creditors, I'll try and frustrate that process, and I, I can play both of those <laughs> yeah. coins. Do you have a cognitive <laughs> dissonance, a challenge with your your two mindsets? You're like, oh, um, I'm this guy and that guy. Yeah, look, um, it's one of those things. It's just fun. It's one of those things where <laughs> both are the, right. You, you see the the difference between kind of morality and equity. Mm. So, um, 
what we do is, um, you know, eth- it's ethical, so it complies with our ethical obligations. But sometimes you you look at it and you just from a, like from a moral perspective, it's it can be challenging. You mm. know, when you know you're restructuring and there's going to be some creditors that get burnt. I don't mind so much if it's the IRD because I know, <laughs> I know the money's just going to be wasted anyway yeah, at the yeah, moment. Yeah. <laughs> so IRD, no moral quiet. The IRD don't listen to that side. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. They blocked them out of this. Yeah, good, good. <laughs> Jeez. All right. Well, is it – so in fairness, really, people like that are running those zombie companies that are, are like not profitable mm. to a degree, you know, they've yeah. been buffered by this thing, should actually be calling you right now yeah, to negotiate yeah, with the IRD. Yeah. There's an opportunity to cut deals that won't be there soon. Yeah. Huh. We got to make sure this podcast comes out before the second or third quarter. <laughs> yeah. We've got a bit of a backlog, unfortunately. All right. Well, what about what about structuring your fears in advance? So yeah. you're starting your business. Mm. You foresee that there could be this creditor issue or debtors. Or yeah. what what can you do, and what should you think about doing? Yeah. So you know, if you're if you're a business owner, you need to be looking at um, you know whether you need a trust in place. So having a trust in place to hold your own assets is, is always quite wise um, because if the company fails, you've given, a P, you've given PGs. If a liquidator pursues you for reckless trading, um, the fact that you don't personally own assets will serve you later. Mm. And it's one of those things where you have the option to pull your assets out of the trust and, and pay if you need to, or you can just sit on it and say, no, bankrupt mm. to me. So so I think um, if, if there's any chance that business could fail and let's be Let's be fair. Most businesses have a chance of failure. Um, <laughs> then, then making sure you have that trust up front, um, and and look, depending on the business, you might have trading entities and holding entities with assets and IP that's leased across to the trading entity. So, if the trading entity fails, then you know you still have control of all the assets and IP and can continue. Hmm. Um, and uh, you know, shareholder structures and and making sure that. You know, you have a robust shareholder agreement because on the other side of the coin of insolvency is what if the business actually does really well? And then, um, and this is where I see all the shareholder disputes is okay. when you're in the trenches and, and you're building a business, it's, there's not tons of money in, in the bank yet, you're not generally going to have a dispute with your shareholder. But as soon as there's cash in the bank, like lots of cash, that's typically when people start fighting and, and things like, you know, I get more clients, I do more work, I manage more of the team, you know, mm. all these things start to, to fester. So having a really robust shareholders agreement in place to, to manage that can can just avoid seeing a lawyer like me as well because, um, you know, you can just implement the terms of the agreement quite effectively. What makes it robust? Oh, you know, have all of the hard conversations at the time you're drafting it, because okay. I think how most people do it and lawyers don't help is, um, you know, they'll go to the lawyer. I need a shareholders agreement and they don't have much money because it's a startup. So they, they put the lawyer on a pinch and then they end up getting a shareholders agreement for like two to $4,000, mm. which will get them a template with their name on it. Effectively. That's what a lot of firms sell at that price point. You know, a good, robust shareholder agreement is going to cost you at least twenty, twenty-five grand. Oh, yeah. And and it's really about going through all of the agreement in detail and actually talking to each other and mapping out all of the what ifs. Because you know, your business will be different to mine, and your business partner will be different. I don't have one, but um, you know, the the, the the dynamics are different, so you need to cater for all of that. Mm. And um, and I suppose. Managing change in the business because the 
what you were as a startup is not what you it's not what you're going to hope to be in five years. Mm. So what if there's a star performer? What if someone is doing more or getting more? I mean, how are we, how are we going to deal with that? Because most startups are just equal. You know, we're all gonna, we're both going to work. We're both going to work full time, and we're going to get fifty fifty. You know, like next minute. Yeah, um, you know, <laughs> someone has a baby, and now they're yeah, working yeah. reduced hours, and and so you need to cater for all of all of those things, so you don't have a, you know, someone feeling aggrieved down the down the line. Makes sense. I, I'd be curious as well because um, in our field we deal with relationship property in a lot yeah. of sense. We try to act it as a generalist. Um, Greg's done his law degree, but we, we just try and find areas of concern then outsource it. Yeah. Um, but we're seeing a lot of pushback on trust and yeah. their validity and ability to protect in relationship mm. problems. Yeah. Do you find that from the, the debtors and the creditors they are coming after trust and they get an opportunity or – or do you see where um, trusts aren't quite working, like they're not doing the gifting process, or yeah, yeah, and they're I think, using it like a personal thing, or yeah. Okay. So, so I um, so I don't get involved in the establishment or management of trusts. Okay. So we don't do any of the GP work, but we, but we do get involved in disputes, and um, you know, the, a couple of years ago there was the Clayton Clayton decision, which was a relationship property um, dispute between a ex husband and wife, and. You know that's a re- that's a really um, influential decision in how trust can be busted in New Zealand, and we're just waiting on an opportunity for a creditor to take the same approach uh-huh. because that was a wife to husband dynamic. Yeah, yeah. But the way they interpreted property and and the way that they bust that deed can be used in the, by creditors, particularly the the official assignee has some really interesting rights. Okay, but they haven't done anything yet. Uh, but it's just a matter of time before. Trust will be vulnerable from creditors, and in Australia, they've applied the same rationale from a creditor's perspective as well. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, look, trusts are nowhere near as safe as huh. they once were, and and it, and it comes down to it comes down to a few things. One is the powers that are in the trust. So, if you just if you set up a trust, but you still have all of the control you would as if it's your own property, mm. then that's very easy to. To yeah, bust makes sense. Um, if you establish a trust, but you're not doing all the maintenance, you know, and it's at least annually, <laughs> um, and all the gifting that's required, then there's some vulnerabilities in there as well. So um, there are definitely opportunities for creditors to to attack trusts. All yeah. right, we heard it here first. Hopefully, we find <laughs> a solution. Right? Jeez, it is sad. Like well, we have instances, for example, a couple. Um, one of them was paying off the mortgage with a trust. The first one actually owned it, and then so obviously that the trust became a potential part owner of the house. Yeah. But then she wasn't a beneficiary, so now she's stuck in this house and can't do much with it. Mm. And it's it's a really sad thing, and it's something I don't know enough about. Like I, I we're the product effectively in our industry, same with your industry. So I want to understand that competency. Even like let's say a client comes on, there's an insolvency issue. Yeah. I want to have an understanding to at least help. You know, kind of like a yeah. tangible life coach. Yeah. How do you upskill in what you do? Do you just subscribe to a newsletter? Do you read case studies every two minutes, or how do you yeah. stay on it? Yeah, so look, it's about it's, it's an evolving practice area, and you know, insolvency law has changed so much when I started versus mm. versus now, and even when the the legislation is exactly the same, you end up with you know a judge saying one thing and then years later saying another, and you know the class, classic example I had was. Um, it was about avoidable transaction, and um, 
there were there were judges that went both ways and there were completely different interpretations on this legislation and i had i had this case and i was real excited because i had the judge that interpreted it the way that i wanted stood up in court and then his his first words out of his mouth were uh, mr norling i've changed my view um and he went the complete opposite as he as he did in his own previous decision oh, god um and so you know to to keep up to date yeah you just need to keep reading the cases that are coming out of the high court and and it's what we do and um so I'm an author of a couple of books and there's review dates that happen um each quarter and so that forces me to actually review the cases that have that have come out in the last quarter okay see if there's been any updates and then if there has update the chapter hmm. so um you know, if, and I'm really grateful to be a part of that because if I wasn't, I probably procrastinate it yeah. just a little bit longer. It's easy. Yeah, yeah. The, the challenge is like I love learning. Yeah, but it's, it's like prioritizing what you know, like mm. where to learn, and then also taking the time to learn. Yep. I try to have the process of six days a week. So on Saturdays is strategic thinking and expanding knowledge. Okay. But quite often your your other work drags into you. Mm. Oh, I've got to focus, but yeah, it, it's detriment. Like if 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 you can add all the value in one place to your client, you mm. know, like, so if, if I build a relationship with a client, they know I have a certain understanding, but I've also got a network of people surrounding yeah, them. Yeah, totally. Saves them time. Do you have something like that that you incorporate in, in your surrounding yeah. value add? Yeah, totally. So, um, so my practice is not a, so it's not a general practice. We don't do all areas of law. We, we, um, so, so my view is to be successful, you need to do what you're good at and, and what you enjoy. Agree. And, um, you know, I think I'm good at this area and I also enjoy it. So, you know, I don't add in all the other practice areas. So for me, it is definitely about having a network of other law firms that I can refer clients to and, and vice versa. Mm. Yeah. And it's about, cause I, especially when it comes to law, we, we all have our little pockets of knowledge and, uh, I just don't think that one person can practice, oh, yeah. you know, multiple areas. So, I agree. It's about having a network around you that you can that can support your clients. Do you ever ever have a network of competitors? Um, network like of competitors. learning from them. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, um, I I'm there's one of there's, there's 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 a couple um, that I you know one in particular who's right at the end of his career, so almost at retirement age. Were you going to buy his business? No, no, no. Oh, he, no, no. He's um you know he's taught me a lot and. Uh, it's uh, in my earlier days, it was from being on the other side of him on disputes. So, uh, hmm. you come across these real senior practitioners and they're real collegial as well. So they're not, um, not like some, like the, the younger generation is real adversarial. Yeah. So the old, Hungry. the old guys are like, I'll take you under their wing and you know, it's, yeah. it's quite, quite good. Yeah. Well, one of the most valuable lessons I learned, um, early on in sales. So I did commission only selling cause people scare me. Yeah. I wanted to get over that. Okay. So I got better at it. And, um, so there was a moment where one of the guys I was training, he's like, why do you compete with other people in the office? And I was like, well, I don't know. I just want to win. And, he's, and he said, well, that's counterintuitive. That's actually a scarcity mindset. So the, the, the fact that I was, I was actually consciously or unconsciously um, handicapping the competitors in the office itself, which is a very dangerous culture to create in your mm. organization because yeah. you can make competition on process, but when it's on in results, they're incentivized to not help the other person. Mm. So it's a different culture, but so now anytime I come across anyone, even if they're a competitor, I'm happy to add value, mm. and in a way that 
if they, I feel like they're leeching and they're not um, respecting my time, I'll say, hey, boundaries. Mm. I don't want this. But yeah. if they collectively improve the mm. perception of financial planners, because it's a bad perception, yeah, probably has in your field as well. Yeah. Um, so if they all collectively grow, it's like as a tides rides all boats rise with it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, do you have a newsletter? Or did you mention a book and you're changing the chapters? Or was, I, I yeah, heard well, that wrong. No, nah, yeah. So there's. Um, Probably so I've better got, than I've my book. A, I've, I read it quick. Yeah, I've got a few internal books, uh, um, which are. You know, I'm just going to subscribe. I want to learn from you, mate. Do it. Do it. All right. Um, so I've got three books. Um, so one's on director's risks, one's on business hibernation, and okay. one's on insolvency. Um, so those are on the website. Uh, so those are real easy to, to update when we need to. But I'm also, uh, I, I contribute to Heath and Whale on insolvency, which is um, mm. like the leading text in New Zealand on insolvency that judges and other practitioners use. And it's a loose leaf. So it's run by LexisNexis. And, okay. um, What's and it called? Heath? Heath and Whale. Heath so and it's okay. two, two absolute beast insolvency practitioners. One's a... Um, One's the next court of appeal judge, and he's come back out to practice. And um, yeah, Mike Wells, the other one, and so they put the they're the they're the authors, and then they have a bunch of other insolvency lawyers that contribute to it. And we have a chapter each. So Is it international um, then. Uh it's it's on New Zealand insolvency okay, law. Okay, good, yeah. good. Yep. Yeah. So see, they've got a they've got a hard copy that that comes out every couple of years, and they've got the loose leaf, which you update chapters kind of every quarter. Okay. Yeah. Then. I got I got a lot of respect the way you're doing things. I think you got the head on screwed on right because like one one obviously the um the consultancy the thirty minute there's yep. an investment in the marketing and mm. the value add thinking strategically long term. So I want to know mm. your vision. What, what's the long term goal if everything worked out well? Yeah, and um also like the implementation like your point of difference. Like I want to build a free online university around finance. Yeah, and build a network of instructors. That could be competitors, but mm. or accountants and lawyers and talk. Anyway, it's enough about me. What's your vision, mate? Man, I I think you know for me, I just want so I want Norling Law to be the best insolvency litigation practice in New Zealand. That's okay. that's my broad um, vision, and you know I suppose how I'm doing that is it's all about you know we have a commitment to excellence. So internally, um, you know our processes are all um, all designed to produce excellent work. Um, you know, I want to hire. I want to hire A players that are going to help get us all to that to that point as well. Um, and then, you know, like in terms of what I'm doing on a day to day, I'm currently working on a really, really awesome internal training platform where it's all training videos, and um, mm. it's it's going to be upskilling the team on. You know, so as we bring new people in, they can just learn far quicker than at a, at a scalable way because right now every time i have to train someone because yeah. we're, we're growing yeah. um, i'm just training people um all day basically so yeah. so just trying to build better systems and processes that will will help us achieve that goal yeah. uh, so important yeah. yeah the scale that's my concern now like greg built his business from relationships yeah. and it's only like two appointments a week that are qualified they know how much money and there's a need yeah um but the problem is once you reach scale, so we've got an administrative platform with a fund manager that does all the investing. But yeah. if if this marketing kicks off like I believe it will, mm. you being able to handle that scale it needs to be process needs to be slick because if you don't operationally deliver on the brand promise, mm. then no more brand. Yeah. Um. So I'm glad you're thinking of that. And what would be as we wrap this up? I think you might want to say something before that. It seemed like no, no, okay. good, good. What would be something that you would want people to know? 
as you wrap this up and also how would they find you? It's not hard once you go on your website. Yeah. Uh, what I want people to know, um, you know, I suppose most of the issues that we deal with um, come down to a failure to communicate well and a failure to have hard conversations early. So I suppose a key takeaway from, from anyone who needs my service uh, would be, you know, communicate up front. Don't put your head in the sand because that's what most people do in a hard situation um, and have a hard conversation. How do you find me? Um, website, nollinglaw.co.nz, um, and there's a booking link in there to my calendar if anyone wants to have a chat. Is it Calendly? I use um, ScheduleOnce. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah. Fair, fair. Yeah. All right, well, that'll be in the description, that, not, um, the website, and also I think your LinkedIn will be yeah. a good thing to point yeah. for. Yeah. Some entertaining stuff there. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. They're like, they're like glasses down. You're like, oh, why does everyone want to approach me at Christmas? Like, oh, this is the face. Yeah, yeah. I'll be keeping an eye on you, brother. Yeah. Um, but yeah, also thanks to NZAudioEditors.com. And yeah, cheers for coming, mate. Awesome. Thanks for having me.